Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A Waypoint and the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Guys, we've got an exclusive Bear Grease discount code for FHF gear. That's Fish Hunt Fight gear. I've been using their products for the last year, and I love carrying my gear in a chest rig or my binos in their bino harness. It's easier and more accessible than a backpack, and it doesn't get in the way when I'm riding my mule. For a limited time, you can head over to FHFgear.com forward slash Bear Grease And listeners to this here podcast get a discount on purchases for your FHF gear system. And you can see how I build my gear system. So go to FHFgear.com forward slash Bear Grease for a special code if you're buying stuff from FHF gear. Check it out. Fish Hunt Fight FHF gear. I don't think that made it to the actual podcast. Oh, it did. Oh, it did. Did. oh man, sure I must have missed it. Missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it did. It didn't actually make sense. You just kind of threw it in there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. here's where Clay used the I phrase code switching. Someone just like out of context. Hear me say code switching and agree that I had correctly labeled what we were talking about. Robert Morgan's so nice, he wouldn't have disagreed. <laughs> no, no, he wouldn't. Welcome to the Bear Grease Render. My, oh, my. 
Do we have an eclectic bunch of people oh, we here do. today? We do. Yeah, man. You got you guys stood great. up by no, all your... I'm going to I'm going to we may spend like the whole render just introducing people. That's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. But all all the regulars bailed at yeah. the same time. Except, of course, I guess am I not a regular? Yeah. Well, no, you're you're. I'm just your. I'm one. just. You're yeah. not replaceable in my book. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Vince. I appreciate <laughs> the only in place. Only in place. No, I recanted the old, that. <laughs> I recanted that. The old standby here. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, Thick you, and thin, Nuke. No, mm-hmm. so uh, so Gary Nukem is preparing for the Nukem family bear camp. He's been scouting. Man, it's it's pretty awesome having a dad like I've got. I sent him essentially some waypoints. Like I told him some places, and I was like, go see if there's any bear sign there. And so he went and did it, reported back, no bear sign, saved me a little bit of time. So we're, we're preparing for the Newcomb family bear camp, okay? Yeah. like Big deal. Like within hours from right now at the time of this recording. Me and Isaac will be down there and many others, but I'm going to get to that. So that's why Gary Newcomb in here. Josh Spillmaker, he is just off somewhere, just unaccounted for. I mean, I'm not even sure his wife knows where he's at. No, he's working over in Oklahoma. Most people know him by the land bridge, though. Yeah, the land bridge, bridge. in case you're confused. Yeah, and then Dan Roop, man, Dan had something come up that he just couldn't get out of. I I was... wrecked when i heard dan couldn't be here <laughs> truly was brent is meeting this at the at bear camp tomorrow and could not he he just couldn't come so anyway we got a whole cast of characters to my left spence terrell spencer man it's awesome to have you on the render it's great to be here home run home run performance on the bear grease podcast yep <laughs> not a not a hunter, but a fan of soil. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, no, is my, this is my one time and a punk rocker. And, yeah, they, and former pack, punk former rocker. Former <laughs> thank you guys packed a lot into that man. Yeah. You packed a lot in there in five minutes. I've um, got a. Can I share a funny story about Spence and yeah. soil? Uh, we threw a little shindig down here one time. We were actually celebrating my brother's graduation, and we cooked a pig in the ground. And somehow in the process, y'all y'all kind of started nerding out on your crop soil environmental science knowledge and you, you guys were working with a third person who had a degree in classical letters whatever that is and mm. do you remember this yes, I remember and it. and you guys were t- and you said man I've always wanted my soil science to come in handy and here it is and and you guys just started you know kind of Growing, growing out. out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> over over both being well, we soil had, science. What, what we had done is we dug a pit yeah. to cook a pig in the ground. Great soil profile. Yeah, yeah we, yeah, we were doing a small soil. soil profile. Mm-hmm. Did y'all know I was on the University of Arkansas soil judging team? Wow. wow. Mm. We came in last place. <laughs> <laughs> All the Mississippi schools beat us. Oh, <laughs> really? It was, it was oh. a rough year, but I am a collegiate athlete. I consider myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, I hate to bring it up this quick, but your wife is the Cross County Arkansas rice queen, former, yeah. former. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is big. Oh, uh, once a stuff. rice queen, always oh, a rice right. queen. There's yeah. no former on that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she it's knows like about a... the Cumberland Gap. It, okay. Is it okay to reveal yes, that? I was going to. So we tried to get Terrell's wife on here. And she, okay. So I cryptically, a couple of podcasts ago, talked about someone that I did an interview with, a question them about the Cumberland Gap. And they just nailed it. Just bam, bam, bam. Usually I'm trying to interview people that I know won't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell you. 
No, that's not true. I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to take a sampling of humanity, okay? Just random sampling of humanity. So I interview Carla, and she knocks it out of the park. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. She was tell- you told me about it. She told me about it. Yeah. And then it, it didn't ever, <laughs> but, we knew, but we knew all we can do is talk about it and revel in the glory. Right. Yeah, but for Spence, great to have you here, man. Yeah. Fantastic. Colby Moorhead. Enter the bear left. Tech. Yep. <laughs> bear hunting magazines, very own Colby Moorhead, man. I mean, I can't talk to you without saying this. Last time I saw you, you mm-hmm. were on an altar getting married. It's true. I mean, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. True. I'm just telling the truth. Yeah, you were crowding us too. You were real close. <laughs> <laughs> Did, was it two weeks ago? 12 days ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 11th. The 11th. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you. Newly married man right here. Simulating a new life. Yeah. That's it's glowing. fantastic. You're beaming. Glowing. You're beaming. <laughs> Good to have you. Good to thank have you. Thank you. To your left, Isaac Neal. Isaac, first time, first time Bear Grease podcaster. Welcome, man. It's me in the flesh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, first time on. Really excited. Usually listen and then text you things unsolicited. Yes. I think last time was the guy who commented about the cover photo. Yeah. I took that personally. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I took that personally. <laughs> I, took, I took that personally. So. Okay, yeah, yeah. Wow. Two, two, two translations. New uh-huh. one. The image that is the bear grease image, that's me and Izzy, my mule. Isaac took that picture. Isaac was the photographer. Yeah, so. And the guy said, don't let the cover photo fool you. I, I, I stood up. I said... How, you know, how dare he? Yeah. I didn't stand up, but yeah. I was offended. That was a, that's a great picture. Thanks. Like, I saw that picture. I was like, that's a great picture. First <laughs> it was mostly clay. Yeah. I mean, to, to photograph an animal, though, that's like a wild card. Well, no. So Isaac is a pro photographer. Yep. Still, still photographer. Yeah. Yeah. Check him out on Instagram, Isaac Neal. I, uh, I, I'm an aspiring livestock photographer. I just can't get anybody to pay me for it. So I've got to take <laughs> pictures here, of clay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can come take pictures of your chicken. Yeah, that's what my wife's for. That's yeah. right. You've got, you got a pretty good photographer on your hands there. Yeah, yeah. Now, Isaac, you just got back from where Where were you? Uh, we did a road trip, uh, North Dakota, Montana, and Wyoming, grouse hunting. Grouse hunting? Yep. Wow. Yep. So we targeted... Sharptails and Hungarian partridge in North Dakota, uh, sage and sharptails and Hungarian partridge in Montana, and then mm. blues and sage in Wyoming. Man, so, you're talking about stuff I just don't have any reference for. Uh, I'm to assuming... be totally honest with you, I thought there were like two upland birds until like three or four years ago. And my, my grandpa's one of the most avid upland bird hunters I've ever known, but I just thought there were quail. And pheasants. Yeah. Come to find out, pheasants aren't even American. Right. Yep. And anyway, just diving into this whole world, it's been incredible. But I thought their tail feathers kind of had like the American flag stripes. That's what always threw <laughs> yeah. me off. Yeah. <laughs> I, is there anything more American than stealing someone else's bird and making it ours? <laughs> well, I feel like that's, that's very good. <laughs> What's the best steal? part? The yeah, turkey. That's, the that's turkey. maybe unfair. Uh, co-opting. Uh, stealing's harsh. Anyway, yeah, I got the call. You said, I need somebody for the render. So I flew in. I ditched my guys on the Upland road trip. Yes. Hungarian partridge? Are those native? I don't Surely know. Surely uh, not. Not with the name with Hungarian. We like to call things that are ours <laughs> yeah. American. American. Yeah. America. Yeah. Right I mean, there on the front. Say, well, I mean, hey, <laughs> native American hey listen, word. listen. <laughs> the naming institutions of animals and topographic features in this nation are could come from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, 
For instance, our very own beloved Cumberland Gap, like we spent a whole podcast talking about. Cumberland Gap was named after the Duke of Cumberland, who was, I mean, I, you know, on that podcast, I called him a, what did I call him? An Earl? No, well, I mean, he's a Duke of Cumberland. I, I called him a derogatory name, like oh. a chump. Okay. Mm. I believe I called him a chump. Yeah, I think um, it was chump. And I really evaluated that because I was like, I don't know this guy, uh, but I did some research and he was truly a chump. Uh, <laughs> he was a real chump. Wait, could you, could you, what are the criteria, what's the criteria for chumphood? Well, we better not get into that. Okay. But uh, he was a real chump, okay? You'll fill me in later. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. And a whole massive mountain range is named after him. So I could see somebody coming from the area and being like, I'm naming this bird after me. Yeah. (laughs) And my granddad back home, you know? Yeah. Mm. So anyway, okay. It's it's a cool bird. It's like bigger than a quail, but smaller than a grouse. So Y'all were using dogs? Yep. Yeah, we had um, French Britneys. Uh, German short hair pointers, draughts, uh, vishlas, a uh, couple of labs. You know what? This I think this upland bird stuff is just straight up off the chain. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, used to in the south, we had pointers and setters. Yep. Okay. And the only thing you'd talk about was the difference in the colors in your pointers and setters. Whether you yep. had a liver spotted pointer, yep, or a, you know a, a black pointer, whatever. You know. Yeah. This is getting. This is this is almost like. Um, like specialty coffee, yeah. you know, like you're talking about all these dogs and <laughs> yeah. stuff. So, uh, now, you ever hear anybody refer to a bird dog as flashy? Never. Is there any never. crossover? That's a, if you have a liver spotted pointer, is that a flashy pointer? That's a good question. I think flashy is a really good adjective for pretty much anything. anything yeah. Yeah. So that's a good question. Maybe we'll start. So yeah. Hunting behind dogs. It's, um, it's something that is truly beautiful. Like those guys, yeah. you know, I I, I uh, get done and want to get in the tent or whatever. Those guys are up for another hour taking care of their dogs at the end yeah. of the night, whatever. Get up first, take care of the dogs. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Still in introductions. I just want to say the Hungarian partridge was introduced from you. Okay. Okay, okay good. Nice nice fact check. Okay, <laughs> two to Isaac's left, Misty Newcomb. Welcome, Misty. Good to be here, always. Yeah, man, your name's been showing up a lot on the Stop iTunes it. reviews. Stop that. Man, great to have you, Miss Newcomb. Good to be here. <laughs> Fantastic to have you. Um, Couldn't do it without and her. And to Misty's left, back from the sky, the American skies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Forest Heater. The above, generally. Yes. Cloud Man, artist. good to have you, Forrest. Yeah, it's good to be on here. Have you flown since we last saw you? Not for the Navy. Oh, but really? Commercially, yes. Yep. Oh, okay. I'm kind like, of, like I'm you, kind of you in a, a weird passenger. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I flew out to Virginia for a buddy's wedding. Oh, okay. Yeah. That doesn't count. No, That's no, not, no. You not, that. not. You knew for, that was not what I was talking no, about. Of course. But no, not so for So you fly for the, the Navy. So just if somebody didn't hear you, you know, I don't know, a couple of renders ago you were on. So you're a you're a Navy pilot. Now, okay, I I'm a grown man and I've known Forrest a pretty long time. It took me about four or five years. Uh, no, you hadn't been in the Navy that long. <laughs> it took me, how long have you been in the Navy? I've been in three years. It took me three years to realize that he doesn't operate a boat, <laughs> but he flies a plane for the Navy. You've come a long which, way. <laughs> I mean, if we're trying to throw our enemies off, if this is like deep <laughs> military strategy, it's good. to be like, the Navy's coming. Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. They're looking for boats. <laughs> that is brilliant. No. Now, when you get on a commercial jet, are you sizing up the pilot? 
I would be lying if I said <laughs> I don't turn my head a little bit, like right as we're about to land. I'm like, I'm like, we're gonna have a nice little flare here. You're we gonna, you, we're gonna slam it down. You, you come in through that front doorway, and the stewardess is standing there. Or that's probably not the term anymore, is it? Yeah, whatever. Sure. Flight attendant. Anyway, you look in the cabin, like, eh, I don't know. Maybe I'll take the next one. <laughs> yeah. What are you, what are you looking for in a pilot that you're comfortable with? That I'm comfortable with? Broad shoulders. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just in general, when. Uh, those guys are thoroughly vetted. You know, they, they, they've got plenty of experience to make it to a major airline. But, I mean, I just want a guy who uh, likes hunting, you know, most of all. <laughs> <laughs> you want a hunting Good pilot? listening I, here. I want a guy that I can stroll up to the cabin and be like, let me in, man. Let me, what, like, what would let me you, take the reins. Okay, you being a pilot, like if you just made eye contact with, a, with another human that you were about to entrust your life with 30,000 feet above the air. Like, what kind of vibes would you want to be getting from... Would you want him in sunglasses? Would you want him to look away once you stared at him? Would you want him to give you kind of like a, you know, kind of like an open eye, like, greeting? I think sunglasses is a prerequisite. It's like, you just got to have it. You got to have it. You could be hiding so much, though. uh, But like, you're going to be fine. Wasn't that movie about the Tom Cruise being a pilot and taking drugs and stuff? (laughs) I don't have. I think much. you're getting a couple it's, movies yeah, confused. For the lot. record, I don't watch movies. Okay, I've never seen Top Gun. I, I, I believe this is, that. This is not a joke. Literally, like we are issued sunglasses. Like when in Florida, when we start our flight training, you go and you get your cool gear and like your flight suits and everything. You're like, wow, I'm the best pilot in the world, even though I've never flown a military aircraft. But like, I'm gonna be. You know, they literally give you like these sunglasses. They're nice sunglasses. They're Randolph, I think, is the manufacturer. So it's like mm. that's a prerequisite. Like you're gonna you're gonna have those. You really, know? you're gonna you're gonna so have. Like, those. Well, I think I think it's kind of it's functional it is yeah it's right definitely, i mean definitely. it's not so that you can look like tom cruise it's because i mean sometimes the sun's in your eyes you right know? especially so. i would think the and sun would be in your eyes a lot like, yeah if and it's sunset and you gotta fly west you gotta fly west you right. know what i mean so mm. but yeah other than that with sunglasses off just someone who's who's cool laid back you know okay. with someone that when things go wrong he's coming. is it true that i take a lot of comfort in this um is it true that the commercial airlines are so autopilot ish that there's really a whole not a whole lot of human moving parts inside of flying one. Let me preface this by saying I don't know firsthand, but I have talked to a couple of uh pilots in my squadron that basically just got their ATP, which their airline transport pilot license. So they're like kind of looking to transition into that realm. Okay. And even the aircraft that they're flying now, like some of the airbuses and stuff like that almost have an override such that the plane is built for autopilot. Like if you take the yoke and you turn it hard left, the plane's going to stop you at like 30 or 45 degrees based on whatever speed you're going. So you're not even, the plane has almost more control in that instance than you. Um, So yeah, the planes, again, this is my kind of uninformed opinion. It is my understanding that, yeah, that they're basically built for autopilot. Well, see, unless there's a problem. Right. I mean, I think that that's where you really want, there's probably a lot, it's kind of like, me, I'm teaching some of our, or at least driving with our kids while they drive right now. And I've got a car that beeps when you Lane go out assist. of the, Yeah. And it does all sorts of fancy things. And I'm trying to get my kids not to use that because I want them to develop the skills of a driver. Because if there's a problem, I want them to know how to hit the brakes or to anticipate it before lane assist. And I think that that, I wouldn't, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Well, I'm... I take comfort in this because right. um, to this day, every time air, I'm in an airplane, that I, I, is this? Does everybody do this? Like when you're in an airplane 
and it lands, you're just like clenching the, the rails, <laughs> you know, the handrails on your no. seat. No. I mean, no, not, no. You're not no. worried about it? No. Not really anymore. I mean, if it's I'm been serious. a long flight, I'm a, I'm I'm a, a grown I'll like man. make sure I'm sitting straight up so I don't like hit my tailbone or something hard. But okay. you know, I've taken off in more airplanes than I've landed in. It, it makes okay. sense. Okay, you yeah, you've jumped out of airplanes. Yeah, he likes the wind in his hair. Fall is more of a. <laughs> it's not like skydiving. How yeah. Many, <laughs> so yeah, so Spence was in the U.S. military for yeah. many years. How many? Jumps did you make? Man, I, I did the five to get airborne qualified. My really? Last, yeah, my last one, my chute didn't open up all the way. How'd that so work So I burned out? in. Well, it came out an inch shorter. So. I mean, <laughs> tell me, I mean. Oh, it was a crazy. How, tell me how you don't die when your chute doesn't work. Well, it's a whole story, but we, uh, I jumped out and in the airborne, like for the army, which it was really hard. I had kind of bite my tongue when you're talking about the getting issued sunglasses because I'm like, they just issued us body armor. <laughs> body <laughs> the, difference, armor. the difference between the Army and the Navy. Like, we there's the so cool many jackets. We get yeah, the yeah, top yeah. gun jacket. Yeah, yeah. Good to go, man. Yeah. So uh, they're like, here's a poncho that leaks. <laughs> um, but yeah. Backup shoot. <laughs> so when you when you jump out, you, you kind of just, there's a way to exit the plane so you don't hit the side with all your gear and stuff. And you, you tumble and you're on a line. It's called a static line. And as you go out, you're flipping around and you reach into that line and that yanks your chute open. So you're in like the prop wash. You okay. know, these so big the planes. gravity pulling you out of the plane yeah. and the line catches. Yeah, it's less gravity as it is stepping out and the plane's going however fast okay, it's I going. See. And then there's the big, the turbines, you know, the okay. propellers and you just go. And okay. uh, so anyways, that, that, that did it, but I had a bad exit because I was pushed out. Um, <laughs> not because I wasn't ready to go. I was the first guy. And the 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 jump master was kind of trying to be funny, and I was waiting. There's a little green light, and when the green light go, goes on, you're supposed to hear go, and then you jump, and it went green. And I looked at him; he didn't say anything, and then he pushed me out, <laughs> <laughs> which is like terrible. So I hit the side of the plane, oh, and no. then yeah, and I got when my chute came open. This is it, like Rambo. Oh yeah, it was like all <laughs> twisted up. He First had, Blood Part 2. Clay has seen every Rambo movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> that was the last, was the last movie I watched. Yeah. Oh, anything's changed Man, I wish since I knew then, Rambo. I don't know what it he is. He has seen a lot of Rambo. <laughs> you hit the side of the plane. Hit the side a lot of, of the plane. Analogy spun around, yeah. yanked open, and my chute was all kind of twisted up. You know, if you've ever played with like a toy parachute, mm. that's all twisted up. So I was going down, and it would kind of inflate, and then I had another guy that was wrapped in my lines because he get jumped out. And then when it, oh, when, and finally I got it up and you're only about 800 foot above the ground when he jumped. And so I was like, I, I got it up and there's a reserve only to, yeah, only 800 <laughs> and there's a reserve you pull, but if you pull the reserve, it's like a guaranteed broken leg. Like, oh wow. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's just going to keep you from dying. Yeah. Cause you come down like flat on your back cause it's on your, your belly. Mm. And, uh, so anyways, I, I finally got it up about, I don't know. I was about halfway down. I got it to deploy a little okay, bit. Okay, so you, you got untangled, came off the side of the plane, and yeah. then you're just like free falling. It got it. Now, and your it shoots flare up, up in the air, but yeah, it's tangled. tangled up. And so I was able to get it. I don't, it all happened very quickly, as you can imagine. And then another guy kept getting tangled up, and he would run on top of my my chute. Like he was coming down faster. And so like he would go pump, 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 and it mm. would collapse my chute. 
<laughs> okay. and, and so we're at this point, we're about 200 foot above the ground and, and it's all trees. We're running out us. of time here. Yeah. So then I, I just <laughs> essentially just hit the ground. I hit the trees, hit the ground. So you didn't pull your emergency chute? No, nope, no. Nope. So the 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 chute must have been opened enough that it like, it slowed broke. me down. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, wow. and I got it. I got it to flare right before I hit. But I still it was about the equivalent of falling off like a three story building. And I, okay. I went hit some trees and went head first in the ground. So are you serious? You were shorter. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Where'd the inch go? I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere in Georgia. <laughs> Somewhere wow. in Georgia. What's the time frame on something like that? Like from the time you you jump out to the time feet. It's it's about probably 15 20 seconds if I remember correctly. Wow. Cuz it's fast enough that you have a good chance. I think they they want like no more than a fifth of the people to be hurt. So it's fast <laughs> enough that but it's also but it, it it's slow enough to keep you from everybody getting hurt but fast enough that it's hard to shoot you down when you're going through there. Okay. Mm. So there's a practicality. Mm. There's some practical. Of course, okay. when they gave you your sunglasses, sunglasses. and gun jacket, <laughs> did, did you have to like do anything dangerous? Well, we did do our parachute training, which was, of course, us on a zip line doing the completely non-dangerous version of this. So we did the parachute training. It's like, hey, man, if you ever eject, it's like, what, feet together, knees together, and you kind of just try to like do the worm onto the ground to kind of absorb the impact. Nice. We didn't have to actually jump out of planes. If you wow. have to, as a that's pilot, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, army guys had to jump out of planes. Pilots you got the zip get line. the zip it's like an amusement park zip line, yeah. sunglasses, and Top Gun jacket. <laughs> yeah. Did you go to dance school to learn the worm first? <laughs> no, they just we did uh, karaoke training for oh. how to sing. Uh, you lost that love and feeling. I, I like <laughs> it. I like and, it. And to kind of tie it up, having made that fifth jump, I got this little merit badge. And then in military parlance, I was called a five jump chump. Whoa. Oh, wow. So bringing it back to the Cumberland game. <laughs> comes full circle. Jump, everything. Jump. Me and the everything Duke of Cumberland. Everything comes back <laughs> to, <laughs> to Daniel Boone. In the chunk wow. club. <laughs> um, so there was uh, just this week, just this week, the Missouri Department of Conservation it says public crop cooperation leads to multiple arrests for gross <gasps> over limit of squirrels. I saw, that? I saw that I on uh, the Meteor wow. page, yeah. Yeah, is that the charred squirrels? The group of 16 had been hunting for two days and harvested 471 squirrels. What? Okay, aside from like just the many things that probably were happening here. I'm impressed. If you you put (laughs) me and, and Michael Lanier and like the best squirrel hunters I know and gave us, you know, how many days? A couple of days. days. Two days to kill 471 squirrels? We'd be we'd be scrapping. So these boys are some squirrel hunters now. <laughs> yeah, there's many questions like where do you get you and 15 of your closest friends who all want to go squirrel hunting? Yeah, no doubt. I can I can barely find one or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, and the, clearly the picture they, of the squirrels they're all like charred. Clearly, yeah. they, they look like a pile off. of burned rats. Yeah, is what it looks like. Yep. You yep. know when I saw it because I actually saw it on the meat eater Instagram page. And I had a lot of initial questions about what was <laughs> happening here and why. Yeah. But I thought, you know, these could just be, because this is Missouri. There's yeah. some major cities in there. These could just be some suburban guys who got squirrels in yeah. their well, attic and got in- upset. I mean, I, I think I've had one squirrel in our yeah. attic, and I could understand how it would drive you to that level of frustration. Probably do. <laughs> <laughs> and I was well, so angry I couldn't turn my head anymore. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> there was a there was a clue inside of here is that they were non-resident squirrel hunters. Oh. Okay, 
thing out of staters. So they, Do they were, have dogs. They were out of staters. They were out of staters. And they have dogs. Well, I'm wondering if a no, it doesn't say. I don't think uh, so. An urbanite uh, person experienced this the squirrel in the attic and then it drove them to the woods. Right. I'm going to take out this aggression. That's what I was, that's another. exactly yeah. what I thought. And it made sense to me yeah. how, how a squirrel could do that to a yeah. person, <laughs> how it could become a personal thing. Man. So I, what, we, in gotta, a, in we, a, we gotta get these guys on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not cool guys. <laughs> this is poaching, but tell us your secrets. Yeah. <laughs> I've got questions. Yeah. How many squirrels in like a Eastern deciduous forest, a healthy forest and public land? That's say, a good question. How many squirrels per acre? Like what's the density of a squirrel? Man, Does anyone have any idea? It, I, I really don't have a scientific answer for that. But I know that these guys were probably, they, they were in some real good squirrel country or they were covering a lot of ground. ground. Yeah. Because <laughs> there is not, I mean, we have a hard time in the Ozarks killing a limit of squirrels. Which is dogs. what? What's or the knowing limit? that they're there and not 10, yeah. 10 a day, <laughs> 10 20 a day? possession in Missouri. Per, per person. Right? So it would be 320. So they were 160 over, yeah, 150 yeah, yeah. over. So yeah. other than my theory of just. Yeah. Personal aggression. Reason. What, yeah, National why would someone... The squirrel cook-off? Yeah, yeah, they're getting ready for the Arkansas <laughs> squirrel championship. They got canceled this year. Did yeah. it get canceled? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be this weekend. Oh, that's right, because it it's canceled. Juicy. Uh-huh. Dude, you might be onto something. Oh, man. I'm I didn't not, know you, that. You, might, yeah. you might really be onto something. Yeah. They're no, stocking my, up. My, got... my buddy Joe Wilson up in Bentonville, Arkansas, puts on the world championship squirrel cook-off. Um, There's a podcast did about yeah, it. Yeah, we yeah, did a, we did a podcast with them. It's really co- a cool event where they cook yeah. all these squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some cultures outside of Southern people that deeply value squirrel meat, and yeah. I would assume that these people were some of those kind. So they're Love either... some squirrel meat. So yeah. they intended it to eat it. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. They probably were going to... They weren't just... By the very fact that they they burned the hair off of Mm -hmm. them tells you that they were probably going to use the skin in some way. Yeah. I mean, because typically we would skin a squirrel. Yep. Yeah. You know, the hide would just be refuse. Yeah. You know, Mm. so they were going to cook those suckers whole. Mm -hmm. So, you know, put them in the air fryer. So really you're talking like they killed an extra five squirrels a person over two days. Negative. Way more than that. 16, well, at the limits. 150. Two days. Five per day. So that's half your uh, daily limit over. 50% over. Okay. So it'd be 15 uh, person a day. They weren't good with math. Pretty complex math for paragraphs. I'm just saying. This is not good with math. (laughs) That was good. I'm lost as well. You know, that's the good thing about Do you think that was the defense? What's that? I'm not good with math. Is that the defense? (laughs) That would have been my defense. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good reason that like I don't have to worry about like getting over yeah. my limit of squirrels. Yeah, uh, just not that good a squirrel, squirrel hunter. hunter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just send you off on a mule and say, remember, the same amount as your fingers. Yeah. Go get them. Yeah, do yeah. like a do like a lanyard off of each hand. <laughs> yeah. Just added add yeah, one of each yeah. digits. You go. Yeah. Well, we're about to start doing some squirrel hunting here soon. It's it's about time. Let me know. But, yeah, for sure. I got a mule that needs to be ridden. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm taking your mule okay. with me today. Oh, cool. Yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah, I'm taking two I'm taking Izzy and Ace. Yeah. To uh to to bait our backcountry bear bait over there. He's a pretty and, solid fella. Yep. He is. Yep. He Always. Sure is. So one of the mules that I keep here is Colby's mule. So yeah. Hey, 
soils from the earth, the yeah. podcast, massive gamble to, to have the audacity to think <laughs> that we could entertain people. Because I think people come to podcasts, start, people don't come to podcasts just to get taught something. I mean, you go to college and listen to someone lecture to get taught something and you have to pay to be there and that's the only reason you go and it's not fun. Like people come to a podcast to kind of be entertained, kind of learn something, but mainly to be entertained. And uh, the Soils podcast, you know, we've kind of had in the hopper for a while. And, uh, but the one thing that Soils do is that fits into the Bear Grease, the idea of Bear Grease is that I knew that it would be insightful for people that don't have much knowledge of the soil. So because it's it's that's what I, I I do love stuff that when you go into it thinking thinking you understand something and then really getting some insight out of it. I mean that was my experience as I studied soils twenty years ago in Dr. Miller's class. It was just like wow, this is fascinating. What do you think? Colin? Yeah, yeah, I really liked it. Actually, uh, my wife, which is kind of weird to say, uh, was in the truck <laughs> with me listening to it, and she's like, "Man, this is really interesting." She really liked it too. Uh, it was eye opening. I think the part that I liked the most that was Dr. Woods and just yeah. how all the things that he had learned and done just out of his own energy, you know, and to pursue it. And that was really cool just to hear like someone that's doing something. And I was, whenever the, the, uh, I didn't read the description or anything, but whenever I started listening to it and heard what it was about, I was like, man, I hope Spence is on there. <laughs> oh, really? You could, you, you forecasted that he was going to be yeah, there. Yeah. When I heard his voice, I was like, feels good to be right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, and then just like seeing like what happens to a pasture pre and post uh, Spence bringing his, his kid of poultry out there. uh, It's really cool to see what changes inside of just like on a small scale inside of that environment. And so that over several years, it would be really cool to, to see. I mean, even like thinking about owning land, I'm thinking, man, I'd love to be able to try to do something like that and just make it better than when I took it over, you know, uh, with like that or like the guys at Land and Legacy with putting in native species and and making a cool environment and just controlling that atmosphere. So I was like, man, soils, this is going even deeper than I thought. Yeah. Uh, You know, because growing up, we always fertilized our gardens, tilled it up. It's like knowing. What did you fertilize with? (laughs) Triple, uh, triple 13. 13. <laughs> That's right, man. Triple 13. That's right. Triple 13. What is triple 13? It's a mix of stuff. It's a, it's it's a it's chemical just, it's fertilizer. A chemi- it's, a synthetic it's the most common like fertilizer when you go to the okay. feed store. Okay. It's got the NPK, your nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, I thought it was interesting that um, I wouldn't have known it, that um, chemical fertilizers, nitrogen fertilizer, was developed by Germans, yeah. the Germans, the Haber, by the Nazis. Haber process, yeah. I think, is what wow. it's called. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't even have chemical fertilizers until, you know, the 40s. Mm-hmm. It's super interesting, it all the things that we got that are kind of a byproduct of that, uh, of World the World War II. Yeah, World II, I mean, yeah. it's, it's so interesting because when you think about processed food and all, a lot of that stuff came from mm-hmm. that same all that same research that was useful in that context. And then they tried to apply it and make it useful in other contexts. And it's, it's it's created a lot of problems. Most of the, like all the insecticides, a lot of them were really disturbingly close to nerve gas that was used in world war two by the Nazis. And 
Huh. A lot of rebranding there. You know, even getting up to like... <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to say it. Rebranding. He marketed that. You know, and the Dr. Wood... Was that? Mm-hmm. Dr. Woods. Woods Dr. Yeah. Woods. He, he, uh, he mentioned that, you know, he's like, it's in agriculture. That's the big thing. Like I was listening to a football program, you know, like for our, the university of Arkansas and, and one of the, the sponsors of the program was an herbicide company, you know, for rice farmers, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, you can't make money to, unless you're selling to farmers. And so all these things are there yeah. to, to get yeah. sold. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's you can't really talk bad about fertilizer because it's it's such a complex system. Yeah. And, I, and I hoped that inside the podcast it didn't feel like an attack on agriculture because and, and I thought Dr. Woods did a good job of saying that you know these farmers are fitting inside of a system just yeah. like the chicken mm-hmm. farmers are, Spence. Just yeah, like you absolutely. said, there's 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 people that grow for these big organizations. And to grow for those organizations, you have to fit inside of this shape of being a chicken farmer. And, you know, you said that you guys are outside of that system. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I've got good friends in the Delta. We all do probably in this room. My, I married into a, a rice and soybean family. Yeah. And I mean, so it, it, that's why I said that really what needs to happen is a reformation. A, a reformation is not just uh, let's do things different. It's let's change the whole system. And I mean, that's a big bite because there's all these farmers that have their whole lives and their whole, everything they do is built inside of a current system that does work for them financially. Right. And that that actually came from its own, I mean, the Green Revolution, Norman Borlaug won a Nobel Peace Prize because some of like genetically modified wheat so that it could feed more people. It, the idea behind some of these things was to actually feed, feed people. Yeah. hungry, uh, a growing population yeah. on planet Earth and in places that didn't have optimal weather conditions. And it has had byproducts. But I mean, originally the motive for some of these things, some of the, the things inside that system yeah. were, were actually the, hum, humanitarian. They're wonderful things. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you do that? Like that was really a question that I kind of had even after this research for this is like, what do you do when a system is not really sustainable, but it fuels everything right now in the present? Because what we're saying when we're looking back at civilizations in the soil is that the current way we're doing things is pretty much guaranteed. You know, at some point in the future, the system's going to break. Yeah, I mean, yeah, is so, that your interpretation? Well, yeah, and I mean, I, I if think we're talking about ten years, no, right? But if we're talking about civilizations like Babylonia and Mesopotamia, these guys did stuff for a thousand years, and this this baseline kept moving of what was normal. And here we are, this extremely young nation. I mean, we've been having agriculture for 150 years or so in this yeah. country. And well, then, and and it's depends where you're at. Yeah, I mean, big Midwest agriculture for sure. You're talking about 1850s. like, yeah. But the, I mean, in Dirt, that book that we were talking about, the Dirt, the Erosion of Civilizations by David Montgomery, I think is his name. He said he he correlates the rise and fall of civilizations not so succinctly with just erosion, but he said it's you know we look a uh, major civilization lasts a thousand years, and they erode their dirt in about a thousand years, right? And then he brings it up to present and says, we're on track to do it in about 250. Mm. 
which starts making you, I mean, it, this, uh, I was thinking about this on the way down here, the idea that we have removed ourselves as a culture from the way we produce food. And this is something I've talked about a lot with hunting, where it's like, I think you should participate. If you're going to eat meat, you should participate and know what it feels like to kill something, because that has a weight and a gravity that will make you cherish this product. It will make you understand everything that went into it. And in the same way, agriculture, it's like we're eroding, eroding soil. When the soil's gone, we don't have food. When we don't have food, we're gone. Like, it's a very big problem. Yeah. But yeah. I think what you're looking at, though, it's, it's not just agriculture. It's a human problem. It's that we're like blips on, I mean, just our li- lives are like flashes. And our capacity to radically alter the system that moves on just a completely different time scale. You, you, mm-hmm. you know, like, and whether it's agriculture, whether it's education, whether it's politics, whether it's like the national debt in America. I mean, all these things we know, like, this isn't sustainable. This isn't sustainable. But we're kind of, it's that what, the sunk cost fallacy mm-hmm. or there, there's a economic yep. term where we kind of just put so much into it. We can't turn around now. We can't turn around now, you know? Yeah. And it, it, so I don't think it's just, it was interesting to look at it at the lens of agriculture, but I think you're just looking at a human problem. Uh, yeah. In, in, uh, you have a book up there on the shelf called The Unsettling of America by Wendell Berry, and mm-hmm. he talks about renewable energy. He's, he was, this book was, by the way, published in 1977, and it feels as relevant today as it, I'm sure, it did back then, but mm. he talks about, renewable energy and him and his friend were having a conversation like is nuclear the way is solar the way and and Wendell's takeaway was like we'll find a way to kill ourselves with whatever consumption is the issue well it it seems to be a consistent problem you know what you said about a human lifespan is the issue at hand because we are and I think that's what fascinates me about looking back at history and about seeing all these these old guys and studying them and studying about the earth is that we are just we. Are, it sounds cliche, but it's true. We will. We are here for such a short, short time. It's kind of like a grass fire. You think about a think about a grass fire. A grass fire. There's this one small little edge that all the attention is on, and it's moving across the landscape, and everything behind it's burned, and everything in front of it is not burned. And if you were to turn loose people to deal with it. All you could think about would be that edge of the grass fire. You wouldn't be looking ahead. But how do they put out grass fires? A lot of times they go way in front of the grass fire and and fix a break up there. But now this idea of reformation is a word that that we use sometimes, just about how the the system is broke. And man, that's a hard thing to say because I mean I'm thinking of people's faces and names that I know that are farmers, that they're making a, a good living. They're happy inside of the system, that, but, it, but it's, not, it's certainly not the best system. But Well, I even think of like, we, it's kind of like not knowing you're sick. Especially with Dr. Woods, he talked about, you know, settlers, they, when they walked across, or when they, they could ride their horse through the woods and not lose their hat. Because the trees were so high. Because, because if you ride a mule, his ears block the limbs. <laughs> but you know, like you think of the chestnuts and the when you hear like what forest looked like or the woods two hundred years ago, it's radically different than what I would consider. Oh, look at this good stand of 
hickory and oaks out in this holler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, and it's like we're pre- we're trying to preserve things that we don't even know what they were. We we have land on one of the rivers around here, and and there's a huge erosion problem. I've I've got farmland with cut bank, and it's cost me thousands of dollars a year. We knew it when we got it. Uh, it's just you know we're trying to figure out how to deal with that. And my whole viewpoint was radically shifted by this 84-year-old cattlewoman who still builds her own barbed wire fence. We're on the other side of the river, and we're talking about the river and the gravel mining that had set all this off. And she's like, oh, well, you know, the river didn't even used to be here, right? She's like, I learned to swim. And she points across the <laughs> the valley or to the other, like, side of the where the ground goes up you know yeah. or the ridge she says i learned to swim there in the 40s and that's mm-hmm. where that's where the river used to be and then they were digging all this gravel and the river jumped and it's been like that for decades wow. <laughs> but there were no like aerial maps back then yeah or, you know or if so they the were re- the river meandered a, a well a, a lot they dug gravel they were digging gravel next to the river. Oh, so it cut an oxbow. And it, it, yeah, and it just hopped over to where man had been. Wow. So on around. your land? Yeah. So the river wasn't even there? It wasn't. And like, it's mind-boggling to, wow. to sit there. Because there's like beavers and there's, you know, and it's real pretty and we want to restore it. But the thing is, it's like, you're not really restoring it. Yeah, You know, so it's just, all these are, they're not black and white questions. They're. Like yeah. even, and I thought, and it's good to to think about these things. I, the the other part to that it was just so fascinating to me is that the Ozarks were terraformed by Native Americans before Europeans got here. So this, like, even that picture that we were getting back to was like carefully managed by seasonal burns and uh, the tell me what the, what you mean by terraformed? Um, it, shaping the earth. Okay, it gotcha. it's uh, so like when the Europeans got here, there had not been. Uh, and Brooks Blevins talks about this in his book, but there wasn't any year-round people living in the Ozarks. They were just coming in, but even so, they were changing the landscape to aid them in their hunting and their gathering. Um, If you take out the undergrowth from uh, trees that produce mass crops, you can graze animals under there. It's just like, so we walk in, and uh, I heard somebody describe it as, um, we thought we were in an Edenic paradise but really, it was just the hard work of the Native Americans who had come before, and then we extirpated them, and then we we're like, "This is perfect," and then everything changed. And yeah, because so, which is not—it's it, not to say any of that is bad. It is to be, for me, it's like be cognizant of the good ways that you can steward the land because yeah. there was a sustainable system in place that we've. I mean, I was just out west, and there's wildfires everywhere, but we've sort of eschewed the use of. Uh, controlled burns i don't know yeah seems like a great tool to mitigate some of that fuel yeah yeah what what made you want to do this podcast over soils like you said it'd been in the hopper a while well just my initial fascination with soils in dr miller's class like i i said i came into his soil i said i studied soils almost by accident which was very true man i didn't even want to go to college um i really didn't like I, my, if Gary was here, he he could tell the whole story. But <laughs> I mean, in our family, you went to college, and that was because my grandfather Lewin Newcomb was the first Newcomb that ever went to college, and it was a big deal back in the forties to go to the go to go to college. You know, these poor rural people in Arkansas going to college. Well, he came out very adamant with his kids about the way you make yourself 
in this world is go to college. So he just pounded into Gary Newcomb's head, you got to go to college. And so Gary Newcomb pounded that into me such that it almost, I I didn't want to go almost in probably not rebellion. It wasn't straight rebellion, but it was just like, I'm not sure if this is as important as you think it is. You didn't want to be shackled. Well, and then I got married and I decided that it was good for me to go to college. And I went to college and I never, I never really used my degree for anything. Cause when I got out of college, I started working for myself and I worked for myself until a year ago when I started working for Meat Eater. Um, but that college education was incredible for me, <laughs> truly was. And I, you know, you, you might get the sense that me and Dr. Miller are like best friends. He didn't remember who I was. Like I walk in his office and he goes, I mean, you know, I I had emailed him and been like, hey, I'm a former student. You were my advisor, <laughs> you know. Um, I w- I'd like to do this podcast with you. And he was like, sure, come on. And I get in his office and he goes, yeah, I think I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I sit down with him, but he was he deeply was really influential on me. Not not for soils, his engaging style yeah. of lecturing. And I remember he was one of the first classes I took, and I liked the way the guy talked. And and years later, I would say that I learned how to talk when I was in college just by being around educated people that were using words on purpose. And Dr. Miller was the first one of that. I, yeah. I didn't really tell him that. So if he listens to this, Dr. Miller, thank you. Um, I didn't, I didn't say that to him. I mean, I didn't want to weird him out too much. Like, you know, cause he <laughs> didn't boy. remember who I was. Yeah. Um, I think I, no, I wasn't a good student. Got a whole wall at home. He's a cool guy. He really is. But he, uh, but when I took his, Took his class, and you know who picked my degree for me? Like literally picked it out of a book. Like I was like, man, I don't know, Misty Newcomb. So she not said, replaceable. Yeah. <laughs> so not replaceable. <laughs> she, I, I came. Anybody could have done that. <laughs> I came home and she said, I think you need to get get a degree in environment, crop soil, and environmental science. And I said, sounds good to me. They didn't have wildlife biology here. No. Yeah, they that didn't. wasn't an option. It was here. a minor by the time I was kicking around. Was mm-hmm. it? All yeah. right. And I almost had a minor in biology. I also was the one that kind of encouraged Clay to drop out of college the first time. It's like, you don't have to go to college. I mean, we met, we were young, and you can take that out as well. But, <laughs> but, no, no. no I, so to answer your question, when I went into Dr. Miller's soils class, I had no idea that I was going to learn something so fundamental to the human experience. I thought, and, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'll go. I thought it was really interesting how when he was talking about uh, the Roman Empire and uh, in uh, Italy where they basically just eroded all the soils away yeah. down to rock and how that literally shaped the culture of what we think of when we think of Italy in Italian food. He was like, all they had left was rocks, so they planted, what they say, grapes and olives? And olives. Yeah. Yeah. What is yeah. Italian food? I mean, it's right. in wine, and it's wine like, and you know, shaped the culinary history and yeah. how we even perceive Italy as a as a country, yeah. Italian food, because that's what they had. That's what they did. Yeah. Yeah. At, at the end of the Roman Empire, it was illegal for a farmer's son to leave the farm to pursue another career because it was so desolate. Like nobody was staying on the farm and they couldn't produce any food. They, ha- just they had to have someone there. That, yeah, mm. they're mm. like, nope you you've got to go, <laughs> even though you're producing like nothing. 
That's crazy. Huh. When you think of service. like in the Middle East talking land flowing with milk and honey and all these like oh. areas that we look at that are desolate now, like what do they look like? Yeah. Back, you know, and I, and I think what's, what's someone a thousand years from now going to think about, you know, the plains of the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. like I've seen pictures of from the, the Dust Bowl and it's, it's, a, it's mind boggling. Like I saw this one where there's one like blue stem plant or it's some prairie grass and it's on a three foot pillar of soil and mm. everything else around it is gone. Mm. And so it was the just root system. The root system. Wow. This one holdout plant. MVP of the prairie. But I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's a chest high on a guy that's walking by. Mm. Wow. But all that, like Dr. Miller said, two feet of soil in like a day. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I, I, we actually watched a documentary that there's a Ken Burns documentary on the Dust Bowl. And, you know, Ken Burns spares no detail. Yeah. They're very in-depth documentaries. And it was so, so interesting how just a man-made disaster. Uh, it, it was pretty wild. And, you know, if you're from these parts, then you would know, like my great-grandparents traveled to yeah. California for work. They weren't from Oklahoma. They were from from this area. But a lot of people moved, moved to yeah. Okies from Muskogee. That yeah. was the, it was like a derogatory a derogatory term. And I'm, just a, such a tragic. There was a whole Arkansas, Oklahoma to California. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like a, just a, a huge migration of people. Right. And it's Woody Guthrie. Right. I mean, like every other song is about the Dust Bowl. Merle Haggard's parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The one thing that we did, talking about massive amounts of soil erosion, like what happened in the Dust Bowl. And then talking and bringing it also back to uh, Dr. Woods talking about five tons per year per acre on average flowing off of fields in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we just didn't have time to get into this, but soil going into water systems is massive, massive levels of environmental degradation. Mm. Um, you know, I, I remember just being shocked. And Dr. Miller was the one who talked to me about the. The 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 dead the two hundred yeah. square mile dead zone, zone of hypoxia in in the mouth where the Mississippi yeah. River flows into the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, I w- I really wonder how many people actually know that and believe it. I mean, like you know, twenty years ago, there's no such thing as fake news. So when someone told you something that was true, you just were like, oh okay. Yeah. You know, you say it now. <laughs> you say it now, and people are like, ah, that probably that's uh, you know some political cite agenda. Your sources, well, man. It, but but so just to because we didn't get to get yeah. into it on the podcast nutrients in soil get into water systems and become nutrients in water systems that promote algal blooms and other types of plants growing in water that suck away oxygen that kill animals. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you know, hey. you're, 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 I want Spence to say what he's going to say because I'm interrupting him. But I just wanted to say that real simple thing like nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus in your water, you might as well pour diesel fuel in it. Yeah. And that's interesting that you bring that up because that's a good example of the synergistic negative effect that human actions have, right? Of good intentions. So what did we do to the Mississippi? You know, Mark Twain, you know, used to be a steamboat captain and all that, and it mm-hmm. was a specialized thing. Well, we channelized that more jobs, more people. Look at a map from the 30s of the coast of Louisiana and now go Google Earth and zoom in and there are lakes like, you know, how they'll put the name of a lake and it's just like out in the Gulf. Mm. 
like they they lose like I don't I think it's like an a football field a minute or something down there a wetlands that's been wow. going on that the ocean is overtaking well no that so what happened is that soil that washed down that's a natural process and it would go down but it would all slow down when it hit the delta okay I see. and it, it would like it would have the speed of the river and it would like just settle out okay. and then marshland would grow and that protected like from hurricanes and and just like that would that's what it's a you know. Yeah, and Louisiana on their license plate, Sportsman's Paradise, you know, that's where all your shrimp, all these industries, right? Well, because of the the oil industry, which is huge down there, um, and that's not a knock on them. I drive a car, I put diesel in my tractor, you know, like mm-hmm. the, if you look, there's all these channels, they cut all these channels to make things go faster and barges. But what that did is it pretty ju- much made a shotgun effect of all those nutrients mm, and all that soil. So stuff like phosphorus, it's sticky. It sticks on soil. So when it goes in the water, it's attached to that soil. And so instead of going out and slowing down, and you've you've seen it on creeks and that kind of stuff, you know, where a flood will happen and the the, the smaller stuff is up closer to the bank and then the bigger right. stuff down. So that would fan out and then you get like all these marsh plants would grow up. Well, we have like channelized that and turned it into a big shotgun. So whereas it used to meander... Now it's straight as an I arrow, see. and it just, whoom. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like a luge out there, we just and all that it. stuff blasts out, and it fuels what you're talking about. Mm. So instead of getting fuel in plant life and, and, and doing that, it goes out, and it's just bacteria. They eat all the oxygen, they grow, they die, they turn toxic, and yeah. it kills everything. So there's a 200-square-mile mm. area in the Gulf of Mexico that has no aquatic life basically what wow. were you going to say Isaac? I, we, I just, we, we just hunted that in January and it's just like you get in the boat and drive for 16 miles in a straight line hmm. it's wow. a river but oh, I, see. In I see instead of being <laughs> curvy down, down and, yeah, close it's, to not, it's not a river anymore it's just a channel that they have like yeah. straightened and engineered and yeah yeah wondered yeah. how that happened that makes sense when you drive into the so where we're located we're real close to the Oklahoma Actually, Oklahoma and Missouri boundaries. And when you drive as a, at, our kids play basketball across state lines a lot. They go to a small school and they play smaller school just across the line. And when you drive from Spence Arkansas. our uh, legendary former basketball coaches. State uh, state champ. Somehow I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> state champ. <laughs> this bump, this flipper, bump. flipper, flipper. I was in the crowd. Me and Spence. Okay. <laughs> 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 you don't want me to coaching against your boy. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Misty. All That's right. another. We're gonna have a whole nother podcast. We have a whole, yeah. All right. <laughs> so you drive across the straight line, and there's a big sign. We have a really great play, Isaac, called Flipper. Sorry, Misty. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's an inbounds play, and man, we scored more points oh, off Flipper. And, and coaches got, would yell at the children. <laughs> <laughs> we got. A, we got a hand signal that we do from the bench, little 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 dolphin flippers, and all the boys. I mean, it's like we're about yeah. to score, boys. <laughs> Go ahead, Mister. <laughs> There's a sign on man. The, order. the dolphin could just go right up the Mississippi River. Does that get us back? No, that doesn't really get us back. But as you're driving, the kids always ask about this sign. There's a huge poster that says "Stop Arkansas farmers, chicken farmers from poisoning Oklahoma waters." Mm. And they're talking about that. They're talking about the runoff. Illinois River stuff. Yeah. yeah. I just I bring it up because I wish they had a sign that said welcome instead. <laughs> 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 Is that all? I just threw us over. 
bus. <laughs> you know how many reviews we're going to get now if people the, said, oh, wow, yeah. they got all Take political. Her out. <laughs> Take her out, the Arkansas chicken lobby is going to come down yeah. on you hard. Oh, man. Yeah. We're in the heart of the matter here, too. So. There goes our ad space. You're going to be picketing. The, the, what I was going to say, this is kind of moving away from, and mm. when Grant Wood said that oranges have 10% of the, the vitamin C they used to have, or the, he started spinach going through spinach. Spinach was 40% yeah. less yeah. iron than what it contained 30 years yeah. ago. And that's not yeah. even long ago. Like, that's no. Yeah, recent. that's got to yeah. be the the difference of the soil. I mean, that's got to, I don't know what else could account for the just the taste difference that you're dealing with there. Some of variety and heart, but yeah, it's all, it's all true. You know, like, there's this myth that this stuff isn't sustainable, but like when you look at like, if you look into food systems of like in Europe in like the 1850s, it was all based on horses and mules and transportation because instead of exhaust, when you think of like transportation 200 years ago, what was the byproduct of that transportation? Manure. Manure. Mm. So what fueled agriculture manure mm. when you go to europe there's actually like soil types that are because of the manure like you can identify where over centuries the manure additions oh, and wow. so like it's not that humans can't manage and can't live without being destructive we can it's just not the way we're doing it now you, you yeah, know and, and so there's there's just these qualities of flexibility and change and just being cognizant of what you're aware of, of the impact we have. And, and a lot of those things, you find them in the hunting community. I don't hunt, but I know a you lot took of hunters. A swing at it. I, took a, years I, I ago. dinged a doe. And then, <laughs> <laughs> dinged a doe. And then I was like, I could grow a lot more chicken than what I've spent on dinging this doe in the time. So. <laughs> I, I think it's kind Stay of, I mean, because we've seen it over thousands of years, it's just antithetical to human nature to kind of be conscious of what's going to happen after we die. We just, people don't want to do it. And that's, and that's what it takes. You know, like you said, people in Europe have, you know, had that sustainable, that sustainable, I guess, lifestyle and the way that they operated because of the byproduct of, you know, their transportation, things like that. But I mean, the things in Iraq from thousands of years, people moving, moving, moving and turning in once the fertile crescent, the, the cradle of civilization and turning into a wasteland. It's just takes a conscious effort from, from people. It's not what we're wired to do. I don't think it's to, it's to think beyond our lifetime. Mm-hmm. I'm and, glad you, you brought know, it back to death because uh, I thought the <laughs> green burial was super interesting. Oh, yeah, and I'm yeah. considering it. <laughs> I'm considering getting rid of the coffin from under my bed. I just don't know where <laughs> I'm going to take my naps now. <laughs> you don't want to mess with your kids and your grandkids? Yeah, I, I'm going to have to find a new napping spot. I, mean, I, I just have a hole in my field I pop out of. Just <laughs> much of. That and when I shock, I, like uh, I shock gobble my domesticated turkeys. Oh, yeah. And so the big joke with one of my, with my daughter is, Hey, hey, you know how I make my turkeys gobble? She'd be like, no, daddy, don't do it. And I do like a super loud crow call right behind her. <laughs> That's so, funny. Those That's are my. Funny. Yeah, I like green barrels, though. Jokes but, aside. I didn't realize what, what, what it was, was a thing. So, I was, was, well. What was so ridiculous about it is that we even thought anything about it. I mean, how do you think they buried people? For, I mean, yeah, yeah, the Egyptians mummified people, and we've had right. some kind of embalming thing for like a very short part of human existence. Most humans that have ever been born on this planet died, and within 24 <laughs> hours, they were in the ground. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that is dust. the truth. Mm-hmm. Or like a uh, lot of sky burials from certain native cultures. Okay, or, that's right. Yeah, just all very natural, though. Yeah. Uh, I had a buddy just die unexpectedly recently, and the hoops that his wife had to jump through to not go to a uh, funeral home and stuff like really? that. Like the cemetery wouldn't dig a hole for him because they're like, we're not going to do it if it's not going through a funeral home. Wow, this got really deep all yeah. real yeah. quick. Because it pollutes Hold the on, ground. we got to hear yeah. more of it this It pollutes story. the ground. It pollutes the well, ground. They, fi- they finally found a cemetery, and incredibly, uh, they dug the hole with his own backhoe. Uh, it was it was incredible because if you knew the guy, it was like this is perfect because wow. the only regret other than him dying right. was uh, that he was not able to tell the story because he was one of the best storytellers in the world. Wow, was but the old guy or young guy, young guy, really, yeah. But uh, yeah, his he had loaned his backhoe to somebody, had broken down, they had just gotten it fixed, uh, found a plot. His buddy built a uh, pine box, basically put him in it. Had to rent a U-Haul truck to get it over there. We had to figure out how to get them in the ground with toe straps. It was, uh, it was like that weird laugh cry thing where this is ridiculous and somebody's going to fall in the grave trying to get the box in here. But wow, th- it was just perfect. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let's anyway, just, let's just it was blow just, through this like this is no big deal. <laughs> this is a big deal, Isaac. <laughs> it, wow. It, but it was a cool experience because it was like an alternative to what I had seen modeled, but it was also just kind of remarkable. Because, I mean, it did, it, it happened, I think, you know, 36 hours after he had passed. So like having to make that happen because he wasn't getting embalmed and all that stuff. But it, it was kind of weird to think like to just do it naturally or relatively naturally is a burden. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to Clay, you talked on the Daniel Boone, like people just, they were comfortable with death. Yeah. Like in society now we insulate it all, like whether it's food like I, one of the big drivers to people not eating meat is thinking that an animal has to be killed. When you, you put that animal out in the wild, and you you think you think me with at the processing plants bad, you should see a raccoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, what I mean, like take it in the face by nature. Yeah, mm. and uh, it's just it's not human. Yeah, you, you, you know, I mean, like to there, there's something missing from the human experience, and I think that's. What I got out of this, like you did this beautiful reading from Hillel, uh, who was the author um, out of the earth. And man, when it, when it talked about Adam and Eve. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, there's something when you hear that, like in my heart, at least there's something like, this is like base level humanity. It's yeah. like that, that phrase deep calls the deep. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. I hear that stuff, you know, and it like when I'm out in my field and I'll just sit down with the birds or the critters or probably when you guys are out hunting. Um, like I used to quail hunt a lot, gamble quail in Southeast Arizona growing up, or I'd go fishing with my grandpa. And it's that same thing. It's like to just, to just feel that your context, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, cause mm-hmm. like as much as we don't, as much as modern life, it's like an illusion, but humanity has been intricately connected and still are. Absolutely. Like everything that you, we all are soil. Yeah. Every, yeah. You know, it, it could come in a plastic package, but it, it started off in the ground. Yeah. And someone tended that thing by hand at some point. Yeah. So I, th- I think it, these things just hit on basic humanity. That's what well, this Well, that's was. why at the end of the podcast, and I, I hope people listen to the end, but 
you know, there, there was no call to action, so to speak. It wasn't like, go join this organization or go do this or do that. It was just like, hey, if you're a human, this is stuff all humans ought to know, number one. And then number two, my only call to action was next time you're out in a wild place, scratch back the leaves, scratch back the dirt, pick up a handful of soil, look at it, compare the ancientness of that soil to your life, and then know that the very atoms of your body will one day be soil. And just see how that makes you feel when you think about that, you know, because it's true. And there was a real interesting part of, um, there's a real interesting part of uh, the interview I did with Dr. Miller that I did not put on there, where one of my first soil classes at the university, I vividly remember, I remember who said it, remember where he was, but he said, um, it wasn't Dr. Miller, he said that the very carbon atoms that are in our body which carbon would be in all types of different arrangements in our body. But a carbon atom itself, or a, any kind of atom that's in the elemental table, would of itself be this building block that could not be altered. But, you know, carbon hooks up with all this other stuff to make different stuff, okay. But a, the very carbon atoms that are in our body could have been the very carbon atoms that were in T-Rex. Mm. Like they would have changed constituency. T Rex died. His organ, you know, his flesh yeah. rotted into soil. Some of them became fossils in the fossil record. That, but that fossil isn't the carbon atoms that were in him. Anyway, just a wild thing, a wild understanding that mankind is intricately connected to the soil, and it's a baseline understanding of a civilization's health is how they treat their soils. And to me, that's massively connected to being a woodsman. I mean, I, I am not interested in being a soil scientist. That's just the truth. I mean, if I was, I would have been a soil scientist. You may get an honorary degree after this, though. Yeah, that would be really great. No, I, my, my main interest in, in life in terms of passions and things I'm doing outside of family and different things is, is being a woodsman and understanding animals and how those animals live, but also the, the, the flora, the the you know the, the the plants and trees and their cycles and all that's so fascinating deeply connected to the soil so you know to be to to me to be a woodsman is to understand the big picture of what's going on not just being able to go out and kill 417 squirrels man that was impressive um, yeah but you should not talk about how that's impressive <laughs> but it hey, is no, no doubt here. no but uh, you know do you guys agree like yeah, having no. this overarching picture i mean and to me if you don't value just just do a hat tip to soil then you ain't no cowboy <laughs> What comes back to too like in the woodsman. whole you ain't no woodsman yeah y'all see where i was going with that yeah yeah that's what it, it goes back to the, you know, and I, I don't know if you covered in the podcast or not, but in the Hillel book, he points out that there's kind of two sides of the coin when it comes to Genesis in the book of Genesis. There's this aspect uh, of man, like, you know, dominate nature. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, you're in charge. It's it's for your use. But then there's an aspect of, sta- of steward uh, yeah. and, and management. Mm-hmm. And, and like when I heard Dr. Woods talk, I don't know what 120 inch 
deer rack looks compared to mm-hmm. a 170. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the biggest buck you've ever killed? What would it have? Right there. And what would that be? Right at real close to 170. 170. And so most Arkansas deer are like what? Not that. Not that. So, you know, but all it was was it's like there. it comes down to management to get the gains that humans want working within the system, right? Because he just manages his land and the, the potential is there to get what he wants working yeah, yeah. within the system. Yeah. And I, that's what I thought was so cool about hearing him talk is yeah. he's just staying within the systems. You know, yeah. he can see the boundaries and I'm yeah. going to stay in here. And then, then you see this flourishing where the deer go from like, what do you call them? Shepherd, where they're the size of German shepherds yeah. to monster bucks, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, the evaluative tools. There would be a hundred different ways to evaluate an ecosystem, but our interest is in white-tailed deer in a lot of ways, and so you know he's, he's looking at an ecosystem based upon antler growth. Um, hey, I'm going to close with one thing, and then I want to hear Mr. Forrest Teeter sing us a song. Why don't you get your get fiddle out? Get Forrest. fiddle. Get fiddle. <laughs> hey, when Forrest was going to come, like I just said, you got to bring a song. <sighs> like it. So this song, I don't even know what it is. I, got I just trust about the name. Hey, here's one funny thing. Did I wonder if anybody picked this up? Dr. Miller's talking, and I guess it's because I know Dr. Miller that this was funny to me. But he said, uh, and then that organic fraction. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that. He just like uh, he just like. You could just see his eyes almost roll in the back of his head when he said, very interesting organic fraction. And I was like, no, it's not, Dr. Miller. But it is because you told me it was. And I believed you 20 years ago when I was so impressionable. So yes, it is interesting. Forrest, what are you going to say? Oh, man. I've got the old iPad yeah, crutch I, right here. You didn't, you didn't catch that when Dr. Miller kind of... Oh, yeah. Did you? Yeah. I figured figure that's where you lost, lost like half your audience. <laughs> yeah. Is this total, cha- total voice change? Yeah. <laughs> yep. for you? you need yep. the sunglasses. Mm. Yeah. What are you going to sing for us, Forrest? Yeah, this is Anchors Away. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't even know what that that's is. Like, that's, that's a Navy joke. It's got to be a Navy joke. That's, the, that's like the Navy song. That's like the Navy anthem. Oh, really? It, yeah, that's like the official song of the Navy. <laughs> boats. Not yeah. planes. Boats, not, boats. Not planes, okay. but planes okay. for me, but normally boats. But. Uh, yeah, this is a song called Paradise. Uh, it was written by uh, by John Prine, and there's lots of bluegrass versions that are really good um, that I really like. But uh, it's relevant to what we're talking is about. It, is yeah, it? How, some, tell us how it's relevant. Um, it mentions Kentucky in passing, which mm. Daniel Boone a little throwback. Okay. Um, but also just uh, about uh, this guy wanted to go back and and see kind of the the promised land where his parents had grown up, and they said it's all gone. Coal company. Oh. Loaded up, yeah, took it I away. This song. It's a true no. story. Yeah, no. they literally just removed the mountain. Yep, this is very, very applicable. Yep, I, I didn't. It, I, you know, <laughs> that's why. That's why they pay me the what big bucks. You guys. All right. Like I said, got the iPad crutch here since I was I was short notice performer here. I was a child, my family would travel down to western Kentucky where my parents were born. There's a backwards old town that's often remembered so many times that my memories are worn. You know I'm gonna sing with you. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Newlandburg County down by the Green River where paradise lies? I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal trains hauled it away. 
Sometimes we travel right down the Green River To the abandoned old prison down by Adri Hill Where the air smelled like snakes And we shoot with our pistols But empty pop bottles was all we would kill Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late asking Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away Then the coal company came with the world's largest shovel And they tortured the timber and stripped all the land They dug for their coal till the land was forsaken Then they wrote it all down as the progress of man mm. Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late asking Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away When I die, let my ashes float down the Green River Let my soul roll on up to the Rochester Dam I'll be halfway to heaven with paradise waiting Just five miles away from wherever I am Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late asking Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away Awesome, 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 awesome. Oh, that was the perfect song, man. It ended up being all right. Perfect song. Glad I could provide. Excellent. Well, thank all you guys for coming. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me... Enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. <laughs> 